Welcome to the PapaCast on the links. Now here's your host, Bob Papa. Welcome to another edition of the PapaCast as we are joined by 1988 PGA champion Jeff Sluman. Jeff, great to have you on the show. Hey, Bob, it's a pleasure and uh, looking forward to this. All right, before we get to the PGA Championship and your first win on the PGA Tour, I want to, get, I want to go to win number two because it happened in Tucson. Uh, we're here for the PGA Tour champions and the Conquistador Classic, but when you think about that time and having won the PGA Championship in 88, I'm sure you expected, hey, there were going to be a lot more coming, and it was a while for you. What was that like when you think back to that week? Uh, very unexpected, actually. Uh, it was nine years in between uh, the PGA and, and my second win here in 1997. And frankly, I got off to a horrific start. I believe I shot 75 or 76. As it turned out, that was the highest score of a winner that year on the tour. I was moaning and groaning. Uh, Billy Andre, Brad Faxon, we went out to dinner and I was sulking and you know, they just said, you know, suck it up, you know, be a kind of man up here. And I called home and I got virtually the same thing for my wife, which really is what they should have said. Uh, so I went out with a game plan on Friday to realistically, I said, I'm going to try and get every putt to the hole. I don't know if I'm going to make the cut. If I play well Friday, I'll make the cut. If not, you know, I'll I'll go home and practice a little more but uh it all turned around really with that thought and 54 holes later they're dropping that conquistador helmet over my head and uh giving me keys to a new chrysler at the time and that was uh that was win number two so as i said very unexpected so when the when the tour announced that they were coming back here last year was the first year coming back to tucson you must have been pretty pumped about that yeah we always love this town uh we've we've played a, a number of different venues here i played at randolph park i think in the match play we played we had a tpc at star pass we played a few other places but uh generally speaking the players really love this golf course it's it's just an old-time desert golf course uh very similar to the courses that we would see in palm springs a lot of history here so uh we were very excited to come back here and the fans came out in droves last year it was a just a great atmosphere I want to go back to the beginning. How does a guy from Rochester become a pro golfer? Because I, I would have thought you would have become a hockey player or something. What led you to this sport? Uh, definitely not a hockey player. I was kind of uh, hockey and, and skiing. I, I kind of look like a, a one-hour-old uh, deer that was just born. Not not very good on their on their feet. But uh, both my parents played golf. My two older brothers. Uh, there was three of us. They they played golf and. We just naturally gravitated toward that. I was basically told, kind of kiddingly, but at five years old, they'd go to the golf course on the weekends, and they'd say, do you want to stay home alone or do you want to go to the golf course? So pretty easy choice at that point in my in my life. But I, I picked the game up, loved doing it from day one. Um, obviously, Rochester didn't have uh, the climate to play year-round, but I think in the long run it was probably advantageous for me not to play year-round. Um, I did a lot of other things. I, I actually bowled quite often uh, nine months of the year, eight months of the year, and played golf four or five months, and um, that's just kind of how I got started. And once I finally was able to go away to college and go further south than Rochester, which isn't saying much, 
um, my game got quite a bit better because I was really ready to play f- full time and in year round. So I saw this massive change in in my golf game and, and ability at that point. So it was it was an exciting time because you almost on a monthly basis I was getting better and better because I was able to play year round. So um, I don't think playing four or five months a year really held me back. Is there is there something or a moment for you where it kind of you realized yourself that you know what I could really make a career out of this you know I I've got that ability where I can do it is is there a defining moment for you or is it more of an evolution uh more of an evolution and I and I say this and I'm not kidding um I finally realized at about age 52 I was a pretty good player honestly and I I I, I kid you not uh up until then Every year, I kind of had that imposter personality, and I said to myself, "I, I, I gotta work harder. I gotta work harder. I gotta do better. I've gotta keep working like this because um, I don't want anybody to know that maybe I'm really not that good." I think there's a lot of people out there like that, and I just that's just kind of was my personality at the time. But uh, it took a long, long time for me to really realize this wasn't some lucky streak or whatever um but uh it it, uh it was just through like you said evolution that it it's gotten to this point i'm 58 years old and still very competitive on the pga tour champions and it's been a wonderful wonderful way to make a living in a a life that i could not have imagined for myself growing up so for the man or woman that's listening to this right now right and they're they're doing pretty well in their life, but maybe they feel the same way you felt, that they were they were waiting basically for the rug to get pulled out from under them, that maybe they weren't as good as what whatever job they are that they're listening right now that they're in. What would you be what would the advice be to, to help someone get out of that before they get to fifty two? I'd say that really try and look in the mirror and take a, a true uh valuation of uh of your talents and and be very honest and I actually did that every year uh at the end of the year where I needed to work on and how I needed to uh analyze where I could get better in that and um I think if you do that um when I look at the total picture of my work I would say that uh I I can say I I never uh not, I, I took days off, certainly, but I mean, I, I tried hard. I was prepared, and I think if you really can do that, you should be satisfied with where you are. You broke in as a professional, what, 1980, first year? Yeah, I turned pro in the fall of 80 out of uh, Florida State. I played some uh, amateur golf during the summer, and then I turned pro in the fall of 80. Different world than golf is now. I mean, um, <clears throat> you had to be much more self-sufficient. You see all these young guys now, they have swing instructors, they have mental coaches, physical fitness has become a big part of it. But then when you look at the trickle-down effect, even to the uh, the guy that plays on the weekends and, and plays fairly well, have we gotten to a point where we're overanalyzing the swing and people are trying to almost cookie-cutter it and that it's still sort of an individual motion? Well, it, 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 there's a lot to that. And I think the young kids now are coached so well and so early that 
the Jim Furyk swings, you're probably not going to see many of those. The Lee Trevino's, the, you know, Arnold kind of had a swashbuckling swing. You don't seem to see those type of players out there on tour. Ricky Fowler kind of had that kind of loosey-goosey motion and, you know, made it work. But he's gone to Butch, and Butch has really, uh, you know, firmed him up, and uh, he doesn't make those big numbers anymore. And, hey, he's winning golf tournaments. And um, arguably had one of the great years a couple years ago, finishing top five in all four majors. Uh, Just fantastic golf. So, um, you know, the the kids nowadays are more into the – technical aspects that that we we didn't have that available i'm sure if it was available back in the 80s early 90s we would have been using it but certainly because it wasn't available we just kind of tried to figure it out on our own you know nobody only a few guys had swing coaches and i remember bringing my swing coach to the players championship our championship that we own in sawgrass and they wouldn't let my coach inside the ropes. I mean, can you imagine telling Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, that he couldn't have Butch inside the ropes on a practice round now? <laughs> I mean, that's how different the time was back then. That wouldn't happen now. No. It would not happen now. Um, tell me about those early days on tour and the friendships that you developed and some of the guys that you looked up to and maybe some of the guys that lent a helping hand. Because when when I think about this game more than any other sport, you know, football, you retire, you leave. Basketball guys will become assistant coaches, but they go. And now with the money that guys are making, they're off on their own. They're in their own place. Golf is the one sport where pay it forward really speaks because guys play until they're older. So you cross-mingle generations. Uh, a guy who's 48 gets a chance to play with a 21-year-old. doesn't happen other than if you're Peyton Manning or Tom Brady in the NFL. But who are some of the guys that paid it forward for Jeff Sluman? Well, when I got out there, I, I, I actually got my card in the tour school of 82, so I played in 83. Um, Jay Haas was very, very nice to me and would play practice rounds and, of course, with Jay, Curtis was there, and, and he was delightful to me. And, and really, uh, both those guys gave me confidence that I had the ability to play out here on tour. Uh, before that, in, in the 80s, uh, early 80s, Wayne Levy from upstate New York ran across him a few times, and he was great. Played a couple of practice rounds with him at Baltusrol in the U.S. Open in 1980. I qualified there as, a, as an amateur, and I I would say I was well I was 22 and probably look 14 so uh <laughs> it was uh, it was very intimidating for me but that was the turning point really in my career I went there and figured I'm one and done and you know I don't know what I'm going to do but uh but I got there and kind of looked around and played these practice rounds with great players Keith Fergus and Gary Coke and uh and Wayne Levy and that, and realized I wasn't that far away. And that was a big deal for me. And that got me thinking about turning pro, because at that point I was kind of iffy about it. Did you like that U.S. Open type setup? I mean, where, um, you know, look, unless unless you've gotten smaller, you're not the biggest guy in the world. So being precise, being an accurate player was something that you've always played with, putting, short game around the green. 
Did you like when the courses were harder and they weren't one of these pure birdie fest kind of situations? Yeah, I love that. I I've, look at my overall career record in U.S. Opens, and although I didn't win one, uh, I had many opportunities and, and finished top ten quite a bit. I finished second with Tom Kite at uh, Pebble Beach, actually, and all the way going forward when Phil made his uh, folly at Wingfoot in 206, I had... I played so good that week. I got off to a horrific start putting-wise. But uh, I, if I play even par in the last nine holes at Wingfoot, I'm in a playoff. So, I mean, I kind of was one of those guys that was going to potentially sneak in the back door. But uh, the U.S. Open-type setups really uh, favored my game. Now we're going to focus in on 1988 in Oak Tree as you win – your first event as a professional, and more importantly, it's the PGA Championship, a major on your mantle. You don't lead going into the final round. You, you play one of the great final rounds uh, in PGA Championship history. Take me through what it was like the morning of that day going into that final round. Well, I'll go back just a little before that. Um, it was a wonderful golf course for me, Pete Dye. Visually, I kind of like pretty much every hole out there and had gone early a few months before that with Willie Wood and Bob Tway and, and played a couple practice rounds. So I was prepared and I knew I was playing really good golf when I got there, but now it's Saturday night staying at Willie Wood's house in his, in his guest room. And, uh, I think I'm in third place. I'm playing with Nick Faldo, which turned out to be a very good thing because, and I say this not, jokingly but i i knew he wasn't gonna be talking to me and i didn't have to be talking to him it was just gonna it was all business sometimes you play with buddies even in last rounds you're kind of you know blah 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 and yakking it up and maybe you're getting off uh on, on your train of thought but um azinger was leading i think dave rummels was in second and they talked about those two and then they talked about faldo in fourth a couple of guys in fifth never mentioned my name that really ticked me off. I mean, I was mad. I said, how can they? I'm in third place. They're, they're not even, I'm, I'm invisible. <laughs> so I, I just said, you know, get a little more of that, you know, uh, whatever stick to that I'm, I'm going to get this thing done tomorrow. And um, I went out and got off to the start, ideal start you want to just bombed it down the first hole and had a good shot in there. And then the next hole, I hit it to tap in length and got off to like a very comfortable start and just driving it down the middle, driving it, you know, hitting the greens. And, uh, you know, it was, I hate to say this, it was a pretty easy 65. Um, I just played that well. Uh, I look at my stats that week. I led the week in fairways and greens hit. So if you do that in the U.S. Open, you do that in the PGA Championship. Unless you've really made a horrendous couple of holes of it, you know, made some doubles or triples, you're probably going to have a pretty good chance to win. And that's what I did, and I just kind of kept at it, kept at it. And um, like I said, I, I hit three or four shots inside three feet. I hold a, a sandwich from the rough on, I think it was number six or seven for eagle and it was just kind of one of those days that it just was flowing you're a huge sports fan uh you love all kinds of sports 
and you've seen athletes in that zone. Were you in that zone that day? I mean, I mean, and can you describe what that feels like? I was definitely in that zone. Um, my future wife was following me, and apparently she was in a lot of holes within 10, 15 feet of me going to the green to tee. I never saw anybody. It was just focus on the shot, focus on the next, you know, you'd hit the shot and then you'd walk up and focus on that. And I was had great tunnel vision, I, I would, would have said. Didn't really see anybody, didn't hear anything. It really is amazing when, when you're in that zone, uh, how focused you are and how easy it was to get in there. Other times when you want to get in there and you can't, you wonder, how did I do it before and I can't now? I think anybody that plays professional sports and, and has experienced that has probably experienced both sides of it. And um, you just wonder why it doesn't happen more often. You haven't, you haven't won as a professional, and now you have a major on your mantle. When they handed you the trophy, because it's not like you're in the last group, and you're just walking up, and you know you've won it. I mean, you're finished. You've posted your number, the 65, and now it's time for them to hand you the trophy. What was it like when you got your hands on that trophy? It was heavier than I thought. <laughs> I was like, boom. You know, and I said, wow. You know, and then I started looking at the names on it and see Hagen, and you see Gary Player, and I think Jack's on it five times, maybe maybe six. Um, but you saw these great champions on there, and for my – name to be etched on there in uh for eternity is um just is pretty amazing it's a great great feeling what did it mean to win the pga championship and what that championship means to a player uh and the profession well you know sometimes you wonder and i look back on it i was certainly ready to win and I had the game I to to obviously win a major. I lost the year before in a playoff at the Players Championship with an unbelievable field. So I knew I was capable. But then it it hits you, and it, you know I didn't probably handle it very well uh, from the aspect of I thought then I was supposed to hit every shot perfect. You know I'm the PGA champ. I'm you know I'm supposed to hit this. I'm never supposed to miss a shot, and I I, I really kind of took a little while, but it, it spiraled where, you know, I, I wasn't really very kind to myself as far as uh, my golf if I had a poor round or something and thinking crazy thoughts of there's a guy, maybe there's a guy in the, because I hit a bad shot, there's a guy that's watching my group and says, how the heck did he win the PGA? I mean, why why would i be thinking that but you know that's that's where my mind was at the time and it it took quite a while for me to kind of get over that and realize um this was happening and i i talked to other guys that had of uh that had won majors and they kind of almost went through a lot of the similar stuff you know and and so you got to kind of just say i'm not any i'm not a better player because i won this tournament last week and i'm not you know, I'm not obviously a worse player. I'm I'm still the same player. I have to work hard. I have to stick to what works for me. I gotta I in golf vernacular, I gotta grind it out. That's my personality. I like to work hard and work hard on the aspects of the game and you know, you just gotta kinda shove that aside and go on with your life. 
you tee it up a lot each year um, as a, you know, on the, on the regular tour and on the PGA tour champions. Um, I find this a lot with athletes um, and with coaches where no matter how much they win, what sticks with them are the ones that got away. Do you feel the same way? Do you, do when, when you look back on things, do you constantly look back at, man, I, that one I really had, I really could have had that one when you talked about the players or, you know, you were in the, in the running at the U S open and so many other chances. Does that consume you sometimes? I I think being honest, uh, it doesn't consume me, but have I thought about it? Absolutely. I mean, my playoff record kind of worldwide, I think is one in nine. So right there it says, you you had a lot of chances. You, You know, if you convert all of them, I mean, Gosh, I mean, the, the places I could have won at uh, would have been remarkable. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I, I, I guess I'm the kind of guy <laughs> you want to have a playoff with. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to bring up your playoff record. I know what it is. I didn't want to bring that up. I'm not sure if it's 1-9 or 1-10. I think it's 1-9. Yeah. Not, not, not so good. But, you know, at least I was there. 10 times in playoffs and I, I won half a dozen times on the regular tour and half a dozen on PGA tour champions. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's been great, but I, I do go back to your question. And this is again, human nature. When, when I'm playing well, I wonder why I didn't win more. And when you're playing poorly, I wonder how I ever won at all. I mean, I think that's just, that's human nature, but that's kind of the way I think. Now, I don't think, you know, probably a a great, great player, a jack or whatever, whatever, if when he was playing poorly, he ever thought, he wouldn't have thought, how did I ever win? But I bet you he wonders maybe why he didn't win more. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of who I am. I'm very honest and, and open about things like that. That's how I think. And, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just just the way it is. But uh, I think the majority of people would probably go through their career at the end of it and have similar thoughts to that. I want to ask you about the state of the game right now. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Tiger was so Tiger Woods was so dominant for such a period and did things that were remarkable. But it feels like this new wave of guys that have come. You know, with Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy, and you mentioned Ricky Fowler and Dustin Johnson, all these guys. It seems fun to watch. It looks like the game is in pretty good hands for the specific reason of they're good guys. There's there there's no villains here. You know, there, there's nobody that, and maybe that will affect the ratings one way or another. There's no one that people will turn in or tune in to root against. They're all very likable, but I would think as someone who's been in the game for as long as you are, it looks like the game is in good hands moving forward. Well, I think the professional game, especially in the United States, is in an unbelievably good position. You mentioned, you know, Ricky uh, and Jason Day. So you got Australia, you got that part of the world covered. You, you've got Rory over for Europe, and, and then, um, you know, we've got Jordan. So, I mean, those are like the big four. You know, Ricky would probably be considered like, Billy Casper, and you know, far from looking like Billy, but you know, we had our big three with Jack Arney and Gary, and then and Billy was as talented as any of those guys. So I, I think the the geographically uh, over the course of the 
boundaries of the world, they really do have it covered very well. It's in a great position. The young guys, I mean, Phil and Tiger really did the heavy lifting for 15 to 20 years, and uh, I applaud all of that they, they did for the tour and, and um, bringing a lot of eyes to the game and, and helping helping it grow and everything. But now it's the younger terms, younger guys' turn to do this. Do you think Tiger can – I mean, it's, it's all about health, but do you think that he could get back and, and you know, win some again? I would never bet against him. You know, uh, I, I think that um, you'd have to know really how bad does he want it. Um, he's got two great little kids growing up, and I, I know he spends a lot of a lot of time with them, and and um, you know likes other pursuits, likes his fishing and boating, and, and uh, now some golf course architecture. So. Um, as you grow older, you, you get a lot of things that kind of not essentially pull you away from the game a little bit, and and your focus is a little different. But uh, as I said, I'd never bet against him as long as he's healthy and wants it. Um, you know, this this guy was the best player I've ever seen. It was it was amazing how good he was at every aspect of the game, and I watched him play actually the first time I played with him was at Bay Hill and he got done with the round and I just started laughing he had every par five at Bay Hill and two with an iron didn't particularly putt well I think he hit every green might have might have missed one or two fairways shoot 64 and I think I scratched say 70 or 71 one under par out and I got done with that round I said how how am I going to beat this guy by eight shots the next three days it just not going to happen. He was that good. And and people said, does that bother you? I said, bother me. I love being around greatness. That was that was unbelievable for me to be around something like that and see it. So um, I'm never going to bet against the guy. You mentioned family. Um, you've been at this a long time. How did you, how do you balance that? How did you balance that? I mean, successful career, um, major champion, but there is life and you're on the road a lot and and to be successful at anything there's an element of selfishness that has to come into play uh for your practice time and and taking care of what you're doing that brings in the money how did you balance that oh it was pretty easy i got married at 35 and started the family at 40 but um your point earlier in the question i haven't heard many guys really ask it but golf's an Professional golf is an incredibly selfish game because it's on you to practice. It's on you to get on that plane and go away from your family. There's really no home games, and uh, so it's 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 difficult. But uh, I knew right away that uh, family came first. Um, I made a promise that I would never be away from uh, my wife and daughter when she was born for more than you know two weeks. That was it. It was going to be less, <clears throat> excuse me, less than two weeks. So even if I was playing three or four tournaments in a row, I'd red eye from the West Coast, spend a day, day and a half home, and then go back to the West Coast. I just have never been away more than uh, probably twelve or thirteen days, and that's just promise I made and uh, promise I've kept. And um, 
that's family was just way more important. I, I think the balance in life then lets you come out here and, and relax and be a better player. All right. Um, what we're doing here on the podcast is occasionally we're going to take questions from fans. So uh, we have one via Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's from John Hobbins at aim pointed uh, asked Jeff about using blast motion sensors and why are the reasons why you're using it and how does it help you? Well, blast motion is a uh, new, uh, it's basically a military grade gyroscope that you put in your club and it basically tells you all of, and I use it, you can use it on any golf club. I use it strictly on my putter because I realized uh, uh, one year ago at, at Tucson when I was uh, shown this product, how revolutionary and what it could do to help my game because my putting was horrible. I mean, it was really bad. I knew it, but there was I, I just couldn't figure out a way to get the data into my mind or uh, the human eye couldn't really tell what you were doing poorly or incorrectly. And this blast motion sensor does, and it downloads immediately after you strike the ball into your iPhone and you get the the data points. And I realized right away that um, not getting super technical out there for the for the fans that are listening, but face rotation as a putter you want to have the least amount you can so you want uh like i said you just want the least amount so anyways when i started from a six inch putt i had like over seven degrees of face rotation and i wouldn't square it back to the i was always maybe two three degrees open so this was causing all sorts of problems i missed every left to right putt on the right you know i I push other ones it was just very frustrating. I had to do two or three bad things or incorrect things to make a putt. So from, say, a six to eight footer, I'd have 12 to 14 degrees of face rotation. Nobody, nobody had that much, and I would never square it up. So just through mechanics and having this data read to me after every putt, I I do it for 15 minutes after every round and about five minutes before a round, I've got myself down into an area that I can square the putter up pretty consistently. So it's actually going where I'm aiming it, which is, you know, it sounds silly, but um, I wasn't able to do that before. And my uh, my my putting stroke is just a lot better. My face rotation is down into the three degrees instead of 13 degrees. So you're just going to get a more consistent strike on the ball every time, and you're actually aiming it, and it's going where you're aiming. So consequently, after all this work, I'm making more putts. Game's more fun. Having chances to win golf tournaments. Um, it's. I, I wish I had this thing. I wish it was invented, you know, 25 years ago. It wasn't, so um, I had to suffer through some uh, poor putting stretches in my in my career but and I think that's probably why guys when we were growing up they would always be called a streaky putter you know they'd get lined up for one week and, and make everything and then they'd go off the rails and miss everything for a couple of months so um, you can just develop much better fundamentals using this blast motion I can think of a putt that before you were using this that you hit really well 
at the Constellation Senior Players against Langer in the play. I'm still amazed. Every time we showed the replay on Golf Channel and you hit the putt and it's on, I still cannot believe the putt didn't go in. Well, I'm right there with you. I've seen it a few times myself, and I, I was absolutely stunned it didn't go in. Bernhardt was coming over to shake my hand because he knew it was in also from his angle, and it obviously didn't go in. So onwards to uh, that's one of my nine of <laughs> one in nine of my playoff losses. But, uh, you know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, that that does, that shouldn't even count as a loss, man. You hit a great putt. That that was that was very unfortunate. Um, so here's what we do now. Do I'll throw a couple things out at you. Um, one or two best buddies over the years on tour for you. Best buddies: Billy Andrade, Brad Faxon, Jay Haas. Favorite stops: some places that you really always look forward to going to. We'll start regular with a tour, regular tour. tour, PGA Tour. We'll start with, and then we'll go PGA Tour champions. Um, regular tour, loved Riviera, loved Harbor Town, Colonial. Um, a couple of might surprise you. I thought Doral was a great golf course, and. Um, Flint, Michigan. When we played the Buick Open up at Flint, people were awesome. Came out in droves. Fun golf course to play. Um, those those were wonderful times and, and memories. All right. So on the PGA Tour champions, some of the spots that you really look forward to going to. I know you look forward to all of them, but some of the ones that you really like, the golf courses that just fit your eye. Well, I'd like to spend about four months at Hawaii. <laughs> you know that place is. You know, maybe one of the great spots I've ever been to in my life. And uh, obviously, you get to Hawaii by winning events, so you always want to want to be there. So uh, that's a great one. Um, really like uh, going back to uh, Endicott, where we have the Dick Sporting Goods. We played there on a regular basis. Tucson, we're coming back here. That's that's wonderful. Birmingham's a awesome town a lot of fun to go there des moines onwards and onwards uh i think calgary's terrific going to um seattle i've gone through the boeing plant in everett i I love airplanes and looking at how they build airplanes was one of the most eye-opening experiences of my life and so you know the champions pj tour champions is uh wonderful spots and and you know, I, I think people, um, maybe our guys tend to forget that the host committees and, and uh, host tournaments, they got 51 weeks invested to make our one week as great as they possibly can for us and roll out the red carpet and, and do things. And, um, you know, without that help, uh, this just doesn't exist. And I, I'd like to thank all of the volunteers throughout the years that maybe didn't get the, the thank yous for what they've done. Well said, well said. All right, here's you, how we normally end it. So, depending on what you want to do, what's your favorite meal? And I don't mean a healthy meal. I mean, if, if you're going to have like I a... I this question all the time. If you're going to have a go-to meal, what is it? Hard to pass up good, thin New York pizza. All right, so you're going to have you're going to have the best pizza in the world... Nice bottle of red. Oh, yeah. Nice bottle of red because you are an avid wine collector, aren't you? 
Got a few bottles in there. Yeah, I got to drink them, but there, uh, there's, there's a few in my uh, cellar in Chicago. What's your favorite? If you, if you had to lean on one, what, what would be your go-to there? That's that you're gonna have at this dinner. Um, my favorite wine might be. Oh gosh, there's so many, but I'll, I'll just say one: Peter Michael Le Pavel. Peter Michael. I, there's, a, there's a good story behind Peter Michael. I'll tell you that one day. Sir Peter Michael, I believe. Yeah. I think he's uh, been knighted. Peter Michael. Okay, so you have the Peter Michael. You have the best pizza that you could possibly have. Now you can invite three or four guests to sit in a closed-door dinner, no time restrictions. They do not have to be alive. They do not have to be from your sport. They could be historical, entertainers. Whatever. Who would you love to sit with and just... Listen to listen to stories and swap stories with. The four non golfers that I would like that I either you know you, this question's got so many open ends to it, but you play golf, but you said have dinner with Sun Tzu, Sun Tzu. the famous uh, Chinese general back in maybe second third century, Marco Polo. Um. Thomas Jefferson and Winston Churchill. I think that would be unbelievable from the military mind to the explorer to Jefferson, who was so instrumental in our country. And Winston Churchill is just, he would be an amazing uh, man to listen to. It's funny that you mentioned Churchill because whether I, we could go Shannon Sharp, we can go Eli Manning. We, we've, I've asked this question on just about every podcast. And I'm saying Churchill comes up 75% of the time no, no. as one of the people. No, what is it about him to you that's so captivating? Uh, I, just his uh, his wit, his his British um, dry humor. I, I think he obviously was a brilliant man. Um, the era and the time in history that he was uh, involved in with obviously World War II and, and, and that, I, I think he's just, Read a lot of his quotes and 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 that throughout time, and I, I just he'd be one of the guys you just want to spend time with. All right, outside of that dinner, what's the perfect Jeff Sluman away from golf relaxed day? If you if you could draw up a game plan for a day, what would be the thing you'd want to do most? Oh, as long as it's with my family and we're having fun, I'm game for anything. Except probably laying out on the beach or something because I get cooked like a lobster after about 30 minutes. So I'd have to be inside uh, or under an uh, umbrella or something. But as long as I'm with my family, we love going to roller coaster parks. I mean, we've traveled to, um, what's the place, Cedar Point in uh, Sandusky, Ohio. We've gone there three or four times and uh, done all sorts of stuff like that. But as long as it's with family... Um, we're taking my daughter on a her spring break. We're going to Vegas. She can't gamble or anything, or but she likes the shows and shopping, and and we'll get some good meals and just have fun. You know, that's that to me is what it's all about. And there's a roller coaster at New York, New York. And we've, we've been on it many times. <laughs> well, listen, Jeff, we appreciate the time. Uh, thanks for opening up for us here a little bit, and fans getting a chance to know a little bit more about you. And thanks for joining us on this edition of the Podcast. Anytime, Bob. I'm ready, willing, and able anytime you call. 1988 PGA champion Jeff Sluman on this edition of the Papacast.